This is Get Unstuck Radio, episode 28. Be a better human at work and at home with William Samson. Welcome to Get Unstuck Radio, the place to brainstorm with you on business and life strategy. To get unstuck with system automation and delegation. And also to get clarity for sustainable business and lifestyle. I'm your host, Mukita Panmuk. Let's get unstuck. Hi everyone. So today I have a special guest, William Samson, who is an amazing leadership course speaker. He mentioned in his bio that in the corporate space, William worked with entrepreneur and executive to build themselves and their team members' leadership skill from the bench of boardroom. And right now, he also helping building better humans, and he also having the project. With the leaders at home, so that they can change from the family stress to family best. Please welcome William Samson with me here. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Matilda. Enjoying this. This is such a good opportunity for me to ask about leadership. I mean, I'm excited. Good. I'm excited about this too. Uh, give me a stump and a story in an audience to somebody that'll listen to me, and I can talk all day. So you you tell me when I need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. So tell me a little bit why you start into the leadership training industry then. Yeah, it's uh, you know my story goes back to a conversation that my dad and I had. Uh, when I was in high school, we were my my parents divorced when I was about 11 years of of age, and so my dad every year. My brother and my dad and I would do some sort of trip together, and this would have been probably my junior senior in high school, you know, 16, 17 years of age. We're coming back from New Mexico in the middle of the night, and we're having a conversation. and And he shared with me that his relationship that my he and my granddad had was was never a good one. It was, it was very, it was very, very difficult. And he said, by the time he had developed enough self-awareness and emotional intelligence to understand that he was a large part of the problem, my grandfather passed away and he he was never able to, to heal that relationship with his dad. So he said he's, he had done a lot of work himself to try to be, you know, develop that self-awareness and emotional intelligence so that, that he was able to be a better version of himself so that the relationship that he had with my brother and I was vastly different than the one that he'd had with his father. So kind of think about breaking the cycle of dysfunction within, within a family. Um, and you know, one, of my, one of my statements, and I'll get to the book story in a minute, one of my statements is that emotional intelligence, self-awareness and emotional intelligence is a cornerstone of every relationship that you'll ever have, both personally and professionally, until we can be the best version of ourselves and understand who we are, we're never going to be the best version of ourselves that those people around us that count on us need us to be, whether like, it's our family, our, you know. Like uh, when we are not yet fulfilled within, right? We still right. lacking something. We have to improve within ourselves. Yeah, I have been there. I'm still working on myself every single day. <laughs> you know, we at some level, we all are. And it's, you know, one of the, the leaders that I listened to early on in my career was a guy named Earl Nightingale. And Earl Nightingale's philosophy was if you'll devote, you know, 10,000 hours or if you'll work five years, so an average work year is 2,000 hours times five years is 10,000 hours. If you'll do that, then you can be an expert at anything you set your mind to. At some point, we, we, we stop, we, during that process, we, we stop the thought of how, how long is this going to take? And we switch to the mindset of how far can I go? You bring that same, same thought process forward 
and you look at Pan Patrick Lencioni's work and his, he looks at leaders in different industries across the world, you know, guys like Bill Gates, you know, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, Charles Schwab, and it was a, about that 10,000 hours, which equates, Nightingale did his work back 70 or 100 years ago. Lencioni did his work in the last 20 years. It comes out to the same piece. Once we get to about 10,000 hours of working on something, then we become that true expert in it. So as we're shooting for that goal, if you will, you know, how long is it going to take to get there? At some point, the, the mind switches off to, well, okay, I can go so much further than that by just continuing on. Thinking about goals is not necessarily an endpoint, but a stepping stone. Wow. This is the thing that involves every perspective in life, right? And mm -hmm. you mentioned that you cannot inf we cannot influence anyone if we cannot connect with them or we cannot understand them. Right. One of the, when I'm starting my presentations or conversations, a lot of times I'm a person of faith. So I, I talk about God and I, I want people to understand right away that I'm just because I have a mindset of, of who my God is, that doesn't mean that yours, you, that it diminishes yours whatsoever. So it's kind of like the conversation we had before we got started about perspective. You know, if we look at, at this as a topic or an issue, what we need in this world is for people to be able to have, to look at this and to see things from the other side of the, of the coin. Or if we can't see it, to understand that the person that can see it, their opinion is just as valid as, as mine as to what they're looking at. One's not right or wrong. One's not good or bad. They're just different. And when we can understand that and have an honest conversation about, you know, what we see, feel, and believe and understand and receive that from the person that we're working with, then there's not a problem in this world that we can't solve. So in it, because we're dealing with people, it doesn't matter if we're dealing with our kids around the breakfast table or if we're dealing with a CEO of an, of an international corporation. We mm -hmm. still, you know, we still pull our, our skirts on or our pants on one leg at a time. You know, there, there are some of you, there are some of y'all out there that are limber enough that can jump up and do it at once. I'm not that way, even when I was an athlete. Um, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that the root, we're all still people. And when we can kind of cut through all the, the rhetoric and the noise and everything that we hear in the world and just say, you know, this is a, cause this, this is a beautiful example. You're, you're in Northern Ireland. I'm in, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, you're a Filipino descent. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a Caucasian guy that, that grew up in North America. But we can, have an, we can have a great open conversation because we respect each other's opinions and understand that you're valuable and beautiful and, and intelligent and you bring as much or more to the conversation than I do. You know, we talk about, you hear, you hear it frequently, look, we got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. We need to use them in proportion. Some people get the math wrong on that. Mm. They think it's one of three. Well, you've got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. There's five. So you need to listen 80% of the time and speak 20% of the time. And if you'll do that, you'll listen more. You'll, you'll hear things. And another part, another issue that I run across all the time is that we tend to listen to respond, not to understand. And what I try to help teach people to do is to slow down long enough to hear what the other person is saying. And that's one of the beauties of you know, this type of technology. You and I can sit here and have a conversation and I can see your facial features. You know, if I say something that, that you don't like, I'm, your, that smile is going to go down on the sides. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right. <laughs> 
but but it, it it all dials back to me understanding my opinion is is valuable and it, just like anybody else's but it doesn't mean that i have to try to make my opinion that of somebody else's mm-hmm. so we'll always do better if we can if we can learn rather than respond yeah i always noticed that like for example my previous boyfriend let's say they only hear what i say but they not listen right you laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big problem somehow because they're not interested in that topic. It was, and I've, I've heard this many times before, but I heard it again this morning and I think it's, 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 it's relevant. Um, Helen Keller, if somebody asked Helen Keller, you know, about how, how bad was it that she couldn't, she, she couldn't see. And she said, well, it's, it's not near as bad as those that can see, that can see, that have, that have sight, Oh, the, the question was, you know, what is it like to have to be without sight? And she said, it's not near as bad as those that have sight that have no vision. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of all about dissecting things and, you know, backing up. But uh, I think the other story you were, you were asking me about from this was with my dad was about the book that he gave me. Yeah. Uh, my what dad was an engineer, very, very tightly wound, very reserved, very task oriented. I'm, I'm diametrically opposed on the personality spectrum. So he really never understood the idea that I didn't want to be an engineer and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do all those kind of things. And was, it was in sales. And I, you know, like I said, tell me, give me a stuff and a story and somebody to listen to it. And I'm, I'm in my element. But he gave me a book on sales when I was 19 years old. And I actually, it's, it's on that, it's on the shelf back there. Oh, you still uh, keep it. Wow, so yeah. lovely. Yeah, in fact, I used to take it with me to presentations and have it sitting up on the, on the lectern or on the table, but it's uh, the bindings coming apart and everything. It's because it's quite old, actually. <laughs> no one knows, William, no one knows. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lifelong learning process. And so, yes, I started uh, with that book by, you know, on sales and the guy, um, that, that wrote the book was a guy named Joe Girardi, and evidently, still to this day, he holds sales records within General Motors, haven't even been close to being touched. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all about being very high touch with people. And it's interesting, the more high tech we get in the world, the more things that I'm seeing where going back and doing things, what we would call old school, yeah. uh, is, having, is having a greater and greater impact on people and being able to stay connected. I was just thinking when you mentioned that, because I feel like right now on this online world, people who are thought leaders, let's say, they go back to the classic period, like in your time. I'm sorry, I didn't mean about it's long time, but like those <laughs> books that is like original of their personal developments, which is more like, let's say, it's the original one that is the core value of these years that what we are learning. So I think this is like, to hear from the people, from the different perspective, and especially those who already have experience longer time, that's totally powerful and different because it's deeper, you know? Well, you know, t- times change, but people don't. So, you know, we're dealing with different things now. One of the, one of the things that, and I think you, we, we talked about this on the beginning was that I work with John Maxwell's organization. So a lot of the information that I get comes through John and I use his, his material on a day-to-day basis. You know, that plus, you know, I'll be honest with you, know, 40 years of experience in the, in the field doing you know, sales and, and leadership and, and training and development. So, but do, when we first shut all this down, 
uh, of the Maxwell organization, we were supposed to be in Orlando, Florida. Three and a half thousand of us from every corner of the planet. Uh, we get together twice a year for our annual convention, and we were supposed to be in Orlando in March. And just as this was breaking, they made the decision to cancel that. So we ended up doing that. Kind of, we ended up doing it virtually. I mean, you talk about a major pivot when you literally have people from, and I say every corner of the planet. I've got friends literally in every country, just about every country in the world uh, that I can think of. And, you know, they were, they all had travel plans and some of them it's days to get from Zimbabwe or from South Africa or Myanmar or New Zealand or Thailand or China or Japan to get to Orlando, Florida. And it's all on our own expenses. The company, the Maxwell doesn't pay for this. This is, this is us coming back twice a year to talk with my girlfriend. I said, there's probably not anywhere on the planet that we can't go that I can't connect with somebody from Maxwell that I know. Yeah. Um, that's really like long term. Yep. Um, well, and uh, the, the group that, that where you and I met with, with, with Sean and Nadia, um, I've invited two of my friends that are in, in Luxembourg. In fact, uh, Monica's birthday's today, and I just sent her a message, you know, wishing her happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, Monica, if you're watching, hey, how, happy birthday. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, amazing. Let's touch a little bit about what you do. So, I want to talk about the behavior analysis of people who stay together, work together in general, how we connect better based on that. Yes. Well, one of, one of our tenets is that, that leadership is influenced, nothing more, nothing less. And you can't influence somebody unless you can connect with them. And in fact, I do, I do a, a, a uh, training on that I call communication gets the word out, but connection gets the job done. Mm. And it's all it's 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 five five ideas and five five processes and five procedures on um, five principles and five procedures on how to how to learn to connect better with other people. But but about being able to connect with people, and it's we 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 go back to understanding. So I I work with the DISC method of behavioral analysis. It was developed by a guy named Dr. William Marston back in the twenties. Uh, as, his, as his doctoral thesis said at Harvard University. Interestingly enough, when we look at the, the history of human behavior going back two and a half thousand years, uh, they've just called it different things. You know, the early philosophers thought, well, it was the, it was the elements of the world that, that influenced our behaviors, you know, the sun, wind, earth, fire. Um, and then they, uh, Hippocrates, the, doctor, the uh, founder of medicine, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, he said, well, it's the internal fluids, it's where sanguine or choleric or melancholy uh, or phlegmatic. And then you, you fast forward to the, to the 20th century and then you had Dr. Carl Jung came up with the Myers-Briggs, same thing. You've got, you have four personality styles that, that work within each other. And then Dr. Marston came up with DISC. So the really interesting part, at least from my standpoint, is take two and a half thousand years of, of thought, process, thought on human behavior and they still only come up with four styles. Uh-huh. And, and with, within DISC, it's, I like it because it's very simple to explain and help people understand. And there's, there's basically two delineating questions. So the first one is, and, and understand that we all have bits and pieces of all four styles in us. So they just manifest themselves differently as, you know, primary, secondary, tertiary styles. So the, the first one is you feel like you're more outgoing or more reserved. So when I'm doing, I'm doing presentations on this, I have, you know, so I have pictures up on the screen. I said, well, so if you're getting on an elevator, do you hope that there's somebody on that side or, 
or in the car or do you hope that the, that the car is clear? Clear. Okay. So you would be probably more reserved. See, yeah. I'm, I'm on the other side. I want to see who's in there. You know, do I know him? Can I make a new friend? Is there a dog in there? I love, I love dogs. Uh, you know, is, is, is there going to be an opportunity for me to make a connection with somebody uh, in, in there? Because you never know what's the game shows. What's behind door number two? Um, so, so that's, that's the first question. Do you feel like you're more outgoing or more reserved? Then the second question is, do you feel like you're more task-oriented or more relational? So in the, the, the question, I, the way I go with that is, it, okay, if you're going on vacation, are you the person that's got the checklist on 60 days, 30 days, two weeks, one week, you know who's taking care of the mail, the dog, the plants, all, you've got all the details worked out, or are you thinking about who am I going with, what am I going to do, what am I going to see, what am I going to eat? What experiences am I going to have? I do both. <laughs> okay, well, understand. And it could be 51, 49%, but there's, but whichever is, and I tell people, whatever the first one that comes into your mind is, that's probably the one that is, is the prominent, more prominent of the two. And again, it, it can be really close, you know, 51 to 49, but there's going to be one that's going to be slightly more, resonate with you slightly more than the other one. Okay. So when we, when we break that down into a grid, those that are, we've been in, and this will be backwards because of the, the cameras and everything, but if we look at the, if, if we draw a grid in the upper left-hand corner, the people on the, on the left side of, of the, the vertical line are task-oriented. The ones on the right-hand side are more relational. If we look at the horizontal midline, the ones above the midline are going to be outgoing. The ones below the midline are going to be reserved. So in the upper left-hand corner, we have the outgoing task-oriented. That's what we call the Ds or the dominants or the drivers. They're mm -hmm. the ones that want to be in charge. They want to, they want to run things. They just, they, they're, they're, the, they're the ones that have, the, they're the visionaries. They, they've got the ideas. Now, they don't know how to, how to make it happen or they don't know. They're, they're not going to be the ones that, that, that make it happen, but they, they have the ideas. Mm -hmm. They make up about 3% of the population, mm -hmm. which is good because if the whole world were wired that way, we'd be, the rest of us, be pull, you know, we'd be pulling our hair out because everybody would want to be in charge. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so like what we're doing right now with, with the, the family, family stress to family best is if you've got a child that's oriented that way, give them tasks, the things to do that they can be in charge of, that they can take ownership of. Because that's, that's going to make them feel good. That's going to make them feel fulfilled. Same thing as we get into the workplace. You know, they're going to be the ones that are typically going to be your, your executives, the drivers, the salespeople, those kind of folks. We get to the other side, still on the, on the outgoing, but we get to the people that are outgoing but, but relational. And that's me. That's, mm -hmm. my, that's my style. Um, we make up about 11% of the population. So when you look at that, the interesting thing is that only about 14% of the overall population is outgoing. Mm -hmm. So one of the, So this one is influence, right? Influence, yep. Uh-huh. Influence, wow. inspiring. Um, you know, we're, we're the ones that we want to get the job done, but we want to make sure we have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the ones that... Uh, now, let me get back, get back to the Ds. Uh, the, the greatest fear of a D is losing control. Mm -hmm. 
So when, when they feel like their, their power is being usurped or they feel like, and it could be a relational thing. It could be they feel like their, their relationship has been taken advantage of. Natural reaction is going to be to, to get, get, jump into it harder, become more dominant, be more overbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and when we get under stress, those, that, that personality type has got to find the, the ability to, to have a release for their, their energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if, if they, if they don't find a good, a good release for their energy, it's going to, it can manifest itself in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, now go back to the, the I types. Um, our biggest fear is people not paying attention to us. So when we feel like, you know, we're not in the spotlight or we're not being listened to, we become louder, more verbose. You know, we just, we talk more. Mm, so this is attention seekers. Yes. It's not necessarily that they, that they have to have it, but they're very comfortable with it. But if they feel like it's being removed from them, they will seek it. And then staying on the relational side, but, but being, being more introverted. Me. That's what we call the S's or the steadies. Um, wait, this is the task one with the reserve, right? No, no this, this, oh, is, this, is, this is reserved and, and relational. Okay, so reservation, okay. That is... That's, uh, that's almost 70% of the population, about 69% of the overall population is, is that steady style. They okay. are the ones that will get the job done. If you give, you give them a task and ask them to help you, they will charge hell with a squirt gun for you. Mm-hmm. Their biggest fear is loss of security or, or, or a changing environment. So if you've got a group, and understand that's almost 70% of the population. So think about, you know, with, with what's going on in their world right now, if they're used to being in school or at work or, you know, out of the house and they're cooped up, that change of situation is causing them stress. Now, the, the fact that, they're, that they're, they're very more reserved they're, they're less worried about being at home because that's really comfortable to them. Then they're the ones that are going to be fearful of having to go into the grocery stores and whatnot now because of the potential for getting sick. Mm-hmm. So if, if you've got friends that you know are that pop, that personality style, they're the ones you need to reach out to. They're the ones you need to really stay in touch with. Mm-hmm. These are the people who go deep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So... Okay. And the last person, the last, and, and like, that, like I said, that's, 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 that's 69% of the overall population. So the vast majority of the people are, are in that category. Oh, so not, want, not this one. I'm the last one. Okay. You're the last one. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the C's are what we call the compliance. They're the ones that are reserved and task oriented. That was my dad. <laughs> my, my dad was in, he flew jets for the, he flew for the Navy. And he was an an engineer for IBM for 30 years. That was his world. You put him inside those nine dots and he's very competent. And that's one of the things that he understood about himself was that he had to come out of that to be the better version of himself, to be the father that my brother and I needed him to be. And he worked on that his entire life. And they're they're about 17% of the population. So when you break it down, you look at the task-oriented side, they're about 20%. The relational is about 80%. So when we're trying to connect with somebody, I use the term live life right to left. What is that? Can you repeat that again? <laughs> live life right to left. Live so life. If you look at the grid, the, the relational are, is on the right side. The task is on the left side. Yeah. And the, re- the reason being is that if you start off being relational with somebody who's task oriented, 
they're, they're a little stronger personalities, so they'll deal with it. You may get them looking at, you know, come on, let's, let's speed this up. And if you're, you know, if you start talking about, uh, you know, your friends and family and the weather and what's going on current events in with, with somebody who's task oriented, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do it, but they'll start, you'll see the answers getting shorter and shorter because they want to get to the point. But if you start straight away task on task with somebody who's highly relational, they're going to shut down because they don't feel like you're valuing them. They're just like, well, they just want to get in here, get the job done and get out of here. They want to hit and they want to hit and run. Mm -hmm. So if you start off with, with, with somebody that you don't know, now once you know somebody, if you know that they're task oriented, you're task oriented, you go in there, you say, here's what I need. Here's what I've got. Here's what I've done. Here's what I need. When can you have it? And get, get consensus and go. And they're going to be fine with that. But if you do that with somebody who's highly relational, they're, they're going to shut down and it's going to take you longer to get back to ground zero and then to work on what you need them to do than if you just go in there and started, started off with them, you know, being more relational. Mm -hmm. they've, got, they've got a little softer personality. They tend to take things more personally. But when, <laughs> this is just my question. When I try to like use the emotion part more to connect with them, doesn't seem it's resonate so far. Is that a normal question? So when I try to connect with them in like, in terms of the relational people, I find it's not me that is one, but I try to like get out of my comfort zone, of course, but I feel it's not on the same page, even though I try, or I haven't tried that hard enough. It's, it's, it's practice. It just takes practice. I, I, I tell the task oriented people make being relational a task. Make being relational a task. Mm -hmm. so if you know that you're dealing with somebody who's relational. Like when we first got on the phone, we were chatting and went back and forth. And you, being you, you kept going back to you know here's here's what I put together as as the intro. It's you know how, how does that look or what do we need you know so so but you but you did a good job you know, of having conversation and just, you know, getting to know me a little bit more and, and understanding, you know, listening to my stories, but then you came right back in line with, um, so I would say that you're, you, you do that well. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you. I mean, I'm trying cause like I have to learn though. It's like, it's very important. My mom's always say like, this is also another thing. I have to try the way of my tonality as well. When I was younger, like when I speak, the ending of my voice is always short. And she said it's always give the bad impression to the opposite party all the time. And, okay. But I didn't think about that because I thought that I have done my job already and I just move on, you know. I just right. do it fast. And especially I was a faster speaker. Like I spoke so fast. Mm -hmm. And I, I have made a lot of bad first impression to many people already, I know. But that's, it all revolves around self-awareness. I mean, yeah. Developing self-awareness and emotional intelligence and understanding, you know, who you are. And as you understand who you, because you can't be aware of something until you're aware of it. So once you're aware of something that you do inhibits your ability to connect with somebody, and then you're, you're, you're aware of it, it's not going to, it's not going to happen every time, but it'll happen more times. And the more times you do it, the more times you practice. It's at 10,000 hours again. 
Mm. Not that you're going to spend 10,000 hours working on being more relational, but over time, over your lifetime, just, just knowing um, I've got one of my coaching clients and one of the things that he's, we, he's we're trying to work on is he said, I just don't have any empathy. Like if they don't get it. Well, then the hell with them. Just, I'm just, this way it is. Just go on. I give him, he's a, he's a sports fan. So I give him a sports analogy. I said, when something like that's, you've got, you've got a thought that's coming into your head and this can, this, I, this is a, I'm using this for a specific situation, but it can be applied to virtually anything. Um, you know, negative thinking or negative self-talk or anything like that. When you've got a thought coming into your head that, that you know is not serving you best, it's like you're sitting at a baseball game down the first baseline and, a, and they hit a line drive foul ball that's coming right at your head. Mm. Well, you, your ability to get your glove up and capture that thought in the glove and then turn it over and look at it, say, isn't that interesting? So to be able to take that thought and dissect it, and there's, um, there's a book called Fierce Conversations, and the term she uses in there is called interrogate reality. So you, you take that thought and you look at it, you know, with, with my clients, we're using the analogy of looking at it like it's a baseball, and we're going to look at it and we're going to interrogate that. So we're going to go through the thought process of does this thought serve me and does it serve me well? And if it does, well, then you keep it. You allow it to come on through. If it doesn't, you take it and you throw it back to the first baseman and they, get, they, play, they keep playing the game. But what you've been able to do is you've been able to stop something that potentially doesn't serve you well, interrogate it, and you make the decision whether you keep it or not. I'm a strong believer that everyone's always have options. It depends on you. And the belief actually changed by time. Like I'm thinking back when I was younger, I didn't be myself right now. I mean, I'm growing up by people who I surrounded with, who I connected with, what kind of job or like school life and so on. I have changed a lot by time. Like for real, I, I, it seems like I have too many personality right now that, that somehow scare me sometimes. <laughs> I know, but it's the fact, but it's because I choose to be who I am today. And that is the choice that I made. And I totally understand what you mean. It's like when I evaluate myself and I'm about to have anxiety attack or something. Is this thought deserve me or not? Or I just take it off. That, take it off. That's, that's a great time, especially if, especially if you suffer from anxiety. When, when, when you get a thought or something that makes you anxious, when you capture that thought, you turn it over and look at it and interrogate it. Is this true? Well, no, it's probably not true. Okay, well, then you take and you throw it, throw it away. And it's easy. I understand it's easier said than done because I struggle with a lot of those things myself. And we always do. But to be able to, to capture that and to, to beware, be aware that you're, that you're having that thought and that it doesn't serve you well, you have the option now of determining what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Most of, so much of the time, people just, it's like Groundhog Day. They just keep living the same day over and over and over and over again. One of my favorite quotes is from a book by, by a guy named James Allen that was written a hundred years ago. It's called As a Man Thinketh. Um, and the quote is, most people want to change their situation, but are unwilling to change themselves. They therefore remain bound. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the fact. 
I know. Really simple, really powerful, but really deep. It's available in the public record. It's available. You can pull it off on, off, off the internet as a PDF document free of charge. It's about, the whole book's about 7,000 words. When I first read it, I read it, you know, going to sleep one night. I mean, just, it was on a list of books that somebody had said, you know, the 10 books that'll change your life. And that was, that was one of them. And it was like, okay, it was one of those things that was like, check the box. Well, then faculty from John Maxwell did a, we did a book study on it. We were a little over an hour a day for 12 days in a row going through that book. Mm. We spent the whole first hour just going over the forward, which is 125 words or something like that. There is, there's a lot of power in that book to, to, to and I, I can get copies of it, uh, two bucks, something like that. And I, I keep, keep copies of them around and I give them to people. I've had people challenge me on it. And I've got a, a really nice friend of mine here in, in town uh, that just refuses to get out of her own way to, to understand that, that she's the problem. And until she can identify that, she's not going to do anything to change it. She's perfectly content at this point to just go through life saying, you know, these are circumstances beyond my control. And that's not true. And it's so sad because if you, if you change your mind, if you change it, and I, I tell people all the time, change your mind, change your life. It's a simple thing to, 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 to say, but it's a difficult thing to, to, to live out. Because again, you go back to once you're aware of something, you know what to beware of. And if you're, once you're, you, you beware of this, those things that are not self-serving, that don't serve you well, then, then you now have the moral, you now have the obligation to do something different. And that's the hard part. Yeah. Because you have to live with it. <laughs> right. And that's, that's, part, that's part of what I help people do through the coaching aspect of it is to identify those things that don't serve them well and then to get them to think at a different level into why why they why they've allowed them to stay in their life the, as long as they have and how to how to be able to get rid of those things and to replace them with more productive thoughts yeah i mean that's very important and it's very hard to discover this thing by yourself. I mean, it would take time. I, I believe that people who I know currently, they wouldn't realize the problem until they are like at the bottom already. And it's always hard to like evaluate all the situation and get back <clears throat> on your feet because it's already the deepest part of your life. A lot of times people don't know where to look for the problem. And that's one of the things that, that, the, that the report that we generate, um, and I'll just use Maxwell, for example, the, the DISC assessment that we call it the Maxwell DISC personality indicator report. This is 30 pages. 30 pages um, to know um, which personality you are. Well, it, it, it starts off with, you know, what, what the different styles are, what they mean. It goes through and it gives me graphs on, on what my, my style uh, is. It describes my style. My style is called the advisor. <clears throat> Talks about different communication techniques. If you're communicating with somebody like me, here's here's the things to do. Mm. Uh, you know, what the greatest fear of that? Greatest fear is loss of social acceptance and change, especially in relationships. So I was I was in I was in a domestic violence situation with my last marriage. Um, my ex-wife couldn't couldn't keep her hands or things to herself and 
you know, would throw things and hit and that, that kind of stuff. And I didn't start doing, you know, learning the, the, the doing the deep analysis of personality until about seven years after we had divorced. And then that one piece was, was a, one of the keys to help me unlock and understand why I'd stayed in that relationship for so long when I knew it was toxic. Oh, because it was easier to, you know, it's the devil, you know, versus the devil you don't. So in, in, in my, that, that particular personality, my particular personality style is you just, you just try to be better. You try to be better. You try to be better. Well, if you're with somebody who's a narcissist and they're, they're never, there's nothing you'll ever do that's going to be good enough because it can't be because you, you've, we've heard the term many times, hurting people hurt people. So until she was willing and able to work on herself and understand that, that what she was doing to me, we could, we could never, we could never get better. So when I finally had the last meeting with my our psychiatrist and said, look, here's what's going on. And he came back to me and said, it takes two and I see what she's doing and she's unwilling to change. She therefore remains bound. She wants her circumstances to change, but doesn't understand that she's the part of the problem and willing to change to make affect that change. Then it, it was, it was getting to the point that it was going to be, I mean, it was, it was physically a problem for me where I, you know, she was, she was hitting and throwing and I mean, I had broken wine glasses across my head and stuff like that. So I left, but it wasn't until it was because I had that, validation from somebody out ex on the exterior that said, you've done everything you can. She's unwilling to meet you halfway that it, it, it now became unsustainable. So that's when I left. You know, we really haven't talked much about this, but in the family stress to family best, this, this is one of those situations where um, unfortunately the, the, the domestic violence and child abuse and all those kind of things are, are, are increasing dramatically because we're all together and because people don't have the skills to understand how to express themselves verbally. So they have to do it physically because that's, that's, that's kind of that primal instinct. That's, that's not, that's what they know. And that's an unfortunate thing, but it is, but it, it, it but it's our reality. So for us to be able to me to be able to take this knowledge to the family marketplace right now and help people understand, the beautiful part of this, as we start going back to work and they see what difference it made in their home life, well, those people that mean the most to them, that really mean something to them, then they can take this back to their businesses, their companies, and their, their teams. And, and it's, I'm, ex, I'm excited to see what we're going to, what, what's on the other side, because part of this is the way I deal with the crisis right now is this is just valley of the shadow that I'm going through. This is not the new reality. This is not where it ends. This is a crisis that we're going through. When we can have that thought process that this is just, just another challenge we're going through and, we're, and not get stuck here. There's a country and Western song here in the United States. It's like, it says something about if you're going through, if you're going through hell, keep on going. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. So, <laughs> but, Oh my. But, but one of the problems that is that, that if, if we don't get into our mind and we don't learn um, who we are and, under, and we, it's easy to get mired down in 
that this is, this is the situation and I'm stuck here. You're never stuck. There's always something, you're, you're always just going through something. Working with, with, with young kids, um, and helping them understand one of the one of the programs that unfortunately I was supposed to do in March and April that that got uh, removed because of the, the social distancing uh, was for a community center working with fifth graders that are getting re ready ready to leave elementary school going into middle school, helping them understand because it's a very it's a very depressed area of town. Very critical period of life. <laughs> Perfect timing but helping them understand that your situation does not define you. And, and a quote that a friend of mine and I came up with over dinner one night is your situation is no more responsible for your actions and results than the mirror is for your appearance. Hmm. So just because you're in a situation that you don't like and you're, you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, that does not give you any license to, to make, have that effect, making better choices and decisions, because making better choices and decisions is what will affect your, your circumstances going forward. Yeah, that's really important. It totally will change your future, but I get that long pace at the wrong time, but yeah. It's hard though to get out of those places. And, and, and that's, why, that's why you need somebody like me that helps with the coaching to help you think into it and to hold you accountable for your results. So when, when I sell a coaching package, it's, it's a lump sum paid all at once and it's for 10 sessions. And I do it that way because if we can get through 10 sessions, there will be breakthroughs and changes in there. If they're paying me month to month and they get into the third or fourth month and they're, they're still doing the work, but they're not getting the breakthroughs yet the tendency to want to quit is, is, is really high. But if they're financially committed to the block of time and they're going to go through it, by the time we get through 10 sessions, they will see results. Yeah. Like when go to see consulting, they always stick to the numbers. I mean, I got asked the, well, my university support those consulting. So I have money to pay. It's included. There you go. Yeah, that's great. Wow. I think I have to rewatch this interview again. There are many things that I would like to recap with myself. I learned mm -hmm. a lot from you today. Thank you. I appreciate you so much that come join me today and teach me and also educate my audience and anyone who listened to this or watch this from YouTube about how important to know the behavior or like the personality of person who you are dealing with right now and connect with them, understand them better to live better together. And that's how you build better humans, right? That's how I build better humans. Yep. So in case anyone want to work with you, William, how can they reach out to you then? Well, my, my email address is William at WKSpeaker.com. It's just my initials, WKS, and then word speaker on, on that. Uh, my website is WKSpeaker.com. Uh, that's in the process of being reworked right now, but it's, 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 it is up and running. It's, uh, if they're here in the United States, my, my cell phone is 972 area code, 849-9557. Uh, would love to have a, have a conversation with anybody who's 
who kind of feels like they're stuck or, or knows that there's more and just isn't sure how to get there. Like I said, most all of my consultation begins with a desk assessment and a debrief where we, 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 we get the, that, the client's specific report and then we go through that and use that the base, as the basis of understanding to, to begin to unlock things. I work you know, with individuals, I work with groups, I work with corporations. You know, the family stress to family best is something that I'm doing for schools, churches, nonprofits right now for their con- their constituents. That's a free presentation. The the only the only upsell on that is at the end if they want to do a deeper dive with their family with their kids. Then then you know they they buy the assessments and the, the coaching and debriefing from me. With companies and organizations, great for boards of directors. You know, we talk about building better better humans. We also talk about building leaders from the bench to the boardroom. And one of the quotes that I use is from the former UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden, who said, when opportunity arises, it's a terrible time to prepare. So essentially it's too late to prepare. So that's talking about with, or with companies building up your team of what they call bench players, you know, guys that are not ready to go to the front lines just yet, but that are, are getting those junior executives or people ready to step into roles of increasing responsibility when the opportunity arises. So that's that's building the bench. And then at the board level, just working with them to help them understand the personalities, strengths, weaknesses, fears, blind spots of each person at the table so that when we have when we have something like this that we need to 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 digest or to to a problem to to solve that we can each understand that we're looking at the same thing from a different perspective. And again, back to the idea that one, one is not right or wrong or good or bad, they're just different. And when we can understand and, and have, have that respect for one another, uh, there's, there's not an issue in this world that we can't solve. Um, and I, I fully believe that, so. Thank you so much, William. Rutina, it's absolutely my pleasure. Love to have a conversation with you. We'll do this again if, 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 if we get a good response to it and you, know, you want to do a deeper dive into any one of the areas. So. Sure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Unstuck Radio. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe so you automatically get new show every week. I would love to if you left us the review. If you want to get unstuck, check my five-step entrepreneur freedom formula for scaling your business without sacrificing your lifestyle at worldwideweb.extraordinarilybymutita.com forward slash freedom. Speak then.